Good morning, guys. Welcome to Journey. For those of you watching online, we are so glad that you are with us online today. Those of you in the house, you guys are looking good. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're looking fine. Turn to your second choice and say, you don't look so bad either. Yeah, that's right. Trying to help you guys out. We're so glad that you're here this morning. We have been in a series called uh, Last Days, and just the graphic alone seems a little scary, Um, uh, but what we're trying to do is unpack, like, what does the Bible have to say about last days? And you know what? The Bible actually says a lot about last days. It's not just in the last book of the Bible, but uh, five different Old Testament prophets talk about the last days, five different New Testament writers talk about the last days, and so we've just been trying to unpack, like, what does the Bible say, and what does that mean for us today? How, how should we live in light of this information? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at some of the writings specifically from the New Testament writers and just looked at what are the events that we can expect to happen in the last days. And, and by the way, last days doesn't mean like short days. It means like final days, right? And we believe we're in the final quarter. Final quarter can last a couple minutes or it can last a long time, right? Have you ever been in a game or just felt like, when is this game ever going to end, right? And so uh, some of the events that we can expect to happen in the last days is first and foremost, we can expect that Jesus Christ rules and reigns in the last days. And this is pivotal and it's foundational. And a lot of people get things wrong when it comes to the last days because they lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ, he is king, he is a great high priest, he is ruling and he is reigning, and he is not surprised by anything that is happening in these last days. We can trust him. We can look to him. We can say, okay, King Jesus, I'm a little discombobulated over some of this stuff. Are you still reigning? And he's, yep, I'm still ruling. I'm still reigning. He's seated on the throne. The second thing that we can expect in the last days, we can expect a move of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out in a powerful way. The the prophet Joel in the Old Testament prophesied about this. Peter read Joel's prophecy and and declared uh, that prophecy. And we can expect in the last days, I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord. And so one of the things we should be expecting, we should be praying for is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Saying, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're in me and you're with me. Thank you for that confidence. But God, I want all of the Holy Spirit that you have for me and not just for me, for our church and for our community and for my family members, that they would experience this outpour of the Holy Spirit. The third thing that we can expect in the last days or the events that we can expect in the last days would be a persecution or a tribulation of those who are followers of Christ. We're gonna talk a little bit more about that today. And so we can just expect that that as we are in the last days, that there's gonna be more and more obstacles to the church and to those who are following Jesus. And not not just for you being a knucklehead, you being persecuted at work because you're weird and, and you're a knucklehead, but, but because of following Christ and being faithful and obedient to his word and to his teachings. We can expect Israel to be harassed and persecuted in the last days. And, and we've seen that over the years. This isn't a new phenomenon. Anti-Semitism didn't just begin You know, it's been going on for a while and we can just expect that that's going to increase and that's part of the last days. And and we can expect that Jesus is going to return in the last days. We talked about that last week about his return and and how's that gonna happen and what's it gonna look like and when's it gonna happen. We can expect the resurrection of believers and creation in the last days. And I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. And then finally, we can expect the judgment of Christ. 
that Jesus is the perfect judge. He doesn't make mistakes in his judgments. He doesn't get bribes. He doesn't, you know, make, he, he doesn't judge too fiercely and he doesn't judge too lenient. He is the perfect judge and one day he will judge and all will be made right. And I can't wait for that, right? And so, so here's the thing is, is as we've unpacked that, I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, some of you in this room grew up in church world where when you heard about last days, it wasn't, it was always said in like a spooky, scary way, right? And, and I grew up in a church, and I love the church I grew up in. It, it was so formative and so helpful, and I'm not judging them at all. But sometimes when, when they would sp- specifically talk about the last days, it was talked about in a way that, I'll be honest, I, even into my 20s, like I had such a fear of the last days. I remember there was, there was just, it was just a different culture back then. There was these movies. There was this one movie in particular. I don't think I was supposed to watch it. It was going on in the sanctuary. It's called A Thief in the Night. And they had like guillotines and everything. I mean, it was, it was freaky, right? And I was probably way too young to watch it, but, but it, I, I, I was like freaked out over the last days. Dude, the music, the songs that were written about the last days were always like in minor keys. And you're just like, what in the world? In particular, I remember being in a service and there, I think it was an evangelist. I don't think it was our pastor, but they were talking about the persecution that was gonna happen in the last days. And for some reason, this is just embedded in my mind that, that he talked about um, ripping out fingernails. That, that this was, I don't even know where they got, I mean, I've looked in the Bible. I've never seen that in the Bible, but the, he, ha, he was this fascinating. And I remember him talking in detail about that. And I mean, guys, I was in my 20s and still when a pastor would talk about the last days, the first thing that came to my mind was ripping out fingernails. And so some of you have come from like those kind of cultures and traditions and, and for you, you're like, oh goodness, another sermon about the last days. I just want you to know that the posture of the New Testament writers when it comes to the, to the last days is one of, hey, we want you to be informed. We want you to know about this, but this is something that you should be encouraged when you know that this is happening. In fact, Paul, we, we read this last week, but I just wanted to remind you of this. Paul, when he's writing to the, the church, the, the followers of Jesus in Thessalonica, he describes all this stuff that's gonna go down. And then he kind of ends that part of his letter by saying, so encourage each other with these words. The, the, these words, this teaching, this information about the last days is not meant to freak us out. It's not meant so that we'll be scared and full of fear. It's meant that we can go, oh, we're in the ballpark. We're in the ballpark. The last day that Jesus, Jesus is going to make himself known in a powerful way. And I could just have confidence that he's going to do it in his way. And I don't have to have it all figured out. And I don't have to know every detail. Aren't you so glad I don't, that that's not incumbent about you and me having it all figured out? And I'm just so grateful for that. And so we can encourage one another with these words. I love really the end of the last days. I mean, when you get past the rapture and you get past like the marriage supper of the lamb and you get past like Armageddon and you get past all of that, you get to Revelation 21 and 22 and it describes the new heavens and the new earth. And I just wanted to share with you this part because this is probably my favorite part of the new heavens and new earth. This is in Revelation 21, beginning with verse four. It says, he, speaking of King Jesus, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death and there will be no more sorrow and there will be no more crying and there will be no more pain. Listen, there'll be no more abuse. 
There'll be, there'll be no more. All these things are gone forever. That's why, this is what I'm looking forward to. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And don't we groan like longing for that? That restoration, that renewal, that resurrection. And so that, that's incredible. But before we get to that perfection that God intends for us, we see also when we see um, the writings about the last days, in, in the, particularly in the New Testament, we see the groundwork being laid for all that the Bible has prophesied. And so today I just want to share with you what is the world going to look like when Jesus comes back. Now, I, I need to give a disclaimer because some people have different ideas of when, some people would say, well, no, the world isn't gonna look like this before Jesus comes back. It's actually gonna happen in just a couple of the years after Jesus comes back. But I'm just saying in that ballpark of Jesus coming back, what can we expect the world to look like? And I think it's important for us to have this information to know what scripture says. Again, not to fill us with fear, but then we can know we're in the ballpark and we can know what God's about to do. Here are a couple things that the world's gonna look like when Jesus comes back. Number one, a central leader. There will be a central leader. If, you, if you're following along in your notes and maybe right next to that you wanna write down just antichrist. There, there will be a central leader. In sharing about Jesus' second coming, Paul gives this insight in 2 Thessalonians chapter two. He says, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man of lawlessness, we're gonna talk about him in just a second. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The one who brings destruction. He, this man of lawlessness, will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. So who is this man of lawlessness? Well, John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 says this. He says, dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And in the translation I'm reading, Antichrist is actually capitalized. So speaking of a particular individual, that the Antichrist is coming. And already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. Antichrist doesn't mean like full-blown like opposed to. Anti means instead of. So his antichrist isn't going to come on the scene and be like flipping the bird at Jesus. You know, he's not going to come in with I hate Jesus like t-shirts and stuff. I mean, maybe, but, but anti really is going to be, I am here, the one you've been looking for, like putting himself in the place of Jesus. The antichrist, according to scripture, will, will be a global leader who will rise up and out of calamity. He will be empowered by Satan. This is very clear in some of the passages in the book of Revelation and, and will bring a short-lived peace and a sense of amazement to the world. Most likely he'll be the one to finally broker peace in the Middle East and it will just seem like, whoo, we've been looking for someone to step into this place. This leader will be incredibly charismatic and appealing. In Revelation, John refers to him as the beast. And I get, before we get into the book of Revelation, we have to understand there's a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation, okay? And we, we just have to realize that you have John who's being given a revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's really about the revelation of Jesus. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off on a side real quick, okay? I have a pet peeve. My pet peeve is when I hear pastors or church leaders and they're quoting from the book of Revelation and they put an S at the end of Revelation, 
Okay, if you've been around Journey, you know this is my pet peeve. It's not in the Bible, look it up for yourself. It's not revelations, plural. It's revelation, singular, because the book of Revelation is the singular revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of Antichrist or all these other things. It's the revelation of Jesus, okay? And all these other things, they're just, they're just side characters in the story. The main hero of the story is Jesus, ruling and reigning and ultimately setting up the new heavens and the new earth and, and his presence being all-encompassing. Okay, so that, so, okay, that was just my little aside. So in the book of Revelation, you see a lot of different imagery and it can be a little bit confusing. It's John who 2,000 years ago is given this picture of the future and he's trying to describe it in ancient language to his generation. And so we come across and we go, what in the world is all this about? So let me get it. Revelation 13 verse four. It says they worship the dragon and the dragon is a person. The dragon isn't a, it isn't a dragon, Puff the magic dragon. This, this is, the dragon is symbolism for what we would almost call like the high priest or the communications director of the Antichrist. This would be the person who, it would be an international character, an individual who will kind of set the table for the Antichrist. So they worship the dragon for giving the beast such power and they also worship the beast. The beast is referencing the Antichrist. It's a language that, that John in the book of Revelation uses. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? And so, so we should just know that, that when, when Jesus comes back, the world is gonna look like, first of all, a central leader, this Antichrist. And I'm just gonna say, and this is the part where I'm putting on the Ken hat, okay? I'm taking off the pastor hat, and this is my opinion, okay? Which means you have every right to argue with my opinion. And I could be wrong. So everybody cool with this? This is why I'm a little fearful, Ken, not the Bible. I'm a little fearful about um, leaders gaining too much power. And part of this is I love American history. I love going back to the founding fathers. And, and when they set up this democratic republic, they set it up intentionally a lot out of their past history with the King of England, they set it up going, we want three balanced branches of power, the executive, the legislative, the judicial. And so for really years, the first hundred years or so of, of, of America, the president didn't have the kind of power that the president has today. This is really a modern invention. It started with Abraham Lincoln and then, and then it's just intensified to the level now where, where our president just has Again, this is just me. You guys are looking at me. Just, I just, this is just me, my political. I just am weary of anybody. I don't care if they have an R in front of their name, a D in front of their name, an I in front of their name, whatever the new, newest, greatest political parties that are gonna emerge in front of their name. I'm just weary of anybody who starts to have too much power. And I'm also always afraid of Christians trying to get a seat at that table of power and, and becoming intoxicated by political power. I think we need Christians in politics. I'm not against that at all. I, I just think we gotta be careful when we become too enamored by singular individuals within politics. Just my opinion, you don't have to agree with me because I think what it does is it, it's, it's paving the way for this individual who's gonna be a global leader. And I just think as followers of Jesus, we just need to be alert, we need to be clear-minded, we need to be paying attention to this stuff. Even 20 years ago, I mean, I think back to, I mean, early 2000s, but even, even in the 90s, it was hard to imagine that someday there could be a worldwide leader 
But over the past couple of years, we've seen a shifting in institutions and there's been a gradual acceptance of sovereign nations like the United States of America acquiescing to a centralized rule. It is not far-fetched to think that very quickly there could be someone who would step into the global uh, stage and that even, even sovereign nations like the United States would say, yes, we will allow you to rule us. Be careful of charismatic leaders who, okay, we're just, we'll, just, we'll just end there. I'll, I'll say things that aren't in my notes and I'll get in trouble and be looking for a new job. So number one, the world will look like when Jesus comes back, there will be a central leader. Number two, we can expect a central currency. A central currency. Currency is a word for money, okay? Moolah. Turn to the person next to you and say, bling, bling. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, we're talking about moolah, we're talking about money, right? There'll be a central, so, so in a world that has the dollar and the euro and the yen and all sorts of different currencies, that there will be a centralized currency. Look at Revelation 13. We were just in Revelation 13, so we're a few verses later. In verse 16, he, the beast, the, the antichrist, required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead, and no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Just underline that right there. Wisdom is needed here. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man. His number is 666. So what does all this mean? It means at the minimum, there's going to be a common currency and that no transactions will be allowed without this mark. Receiving the mark of the beast, this isn't the only scripture that talks about this mark of the beast. There's actually an additional four passages in the book of Revelation that talk about the mark of the beast. It's in your notes, so, but I, I would highly recommend that sometime this week, don't just go off my word, look at these passages in the book of Revelation. Revelation 14, verses nine through 12, Revelation 16, verse 2, Revelation 19, verse 20, and Revelation 20, verse 4. And as you look at these passages, you'll see a common thread in the remaining four passages that talk about the mark of the beast. And that is that the mark of the beast is always spoken of in conjunction, in the same sentence, as the worship of the beast. The, this is really important. I know I'm getting a little nerdy and some of this is probably going over some, some heads. But the mark of the beast is always put in the same context as the worship of the beast. You say, Ken, why is that such an important point? It means that those who receive the mark are deliberately identifying with Satan's kingdom and are intentionally rejecting Jesus. Okay, why is that important? A fully surrendered follower of Jesus cannot accidentally receive the mark of the beast. I cannot say this strongly enough. There's so many people who, and depending on who you listen to and whatever YouTuber or whatever social media person, this is the mark of the beast. This is the mark of the beast. No, over here is the mark of the beast. Oh, grandma, Hilda, you just accidentally got the mark of the beast. You didn't even know it, right? Listen, I, and I know I'm being a little facetious, but there's five passages that talk about the mark of the beast. Four of them specifically link the mark of the beast with the worship of the beast. If you are worshiping King Jesus, and if you are in the word of God, and you're saying every day, Holy Spirit, would you lead me? I wanna keep in step with you today, Holy Spirit. You will not accidentally get the mark of the beast. Okay? 
You can, you can disagree with me, and I'd love to have conversations about this, so you won't hurt my feelings and say, I don't agree with you. I mean, don't do it. This, that would be awkward in the middle of the sermon, but <laughs> we, we can have conversations about this. Followers of Jesus who have accepted Christ as their Lord and who are continuing to follow him, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, will not be deceived. This is why we as followers of Jesus, I know you hear it, you hear it, and you just go, oh, come on, Ken, why do you always say this? This is why we've got to be in Scripture. This is why we've got to be reading Scripture and studying Scripture. And I encourage you to not just read a verse of the day, but to read through books of the Bible, like from start to finish. Start in the New Testament. Start with the Gospels. Read the New Testament. Get the Word of God inside of you so that when something comes that is from the enemy, you go, oh, that's not Jesus. That's not Bible, that's not scripture. But this paranoia that I'm going to accidentally get the mark of the beast without knowing it, oh man, I just got the new iPhone 14, is that the mark of the beast? Okay. I don't know what the mark of the beast is, but it is logical and conceivable that it's coming. And I believe that God will give us revelation, knowledge, and wisdom when the time is right. And I know that verse 18 says, wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast. I, you know, Christians historically have gotten their panties in a wad over this, trying to figure out what, it, what who is this, right? And back, back in the early 80s, I remember a group of people that had put, they, they had taken this name and arranged the letters just right and had found that the, this name equaled 666 and the name was Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan's been dead for a while, and I don't think he was the Antichrist, okay? I remember, no joke, I'm not making this stuff up. I remember for a while Elton John was the Antichrist, okay? And uh, the rocket man himself. So, so here, here's why I'm saying this. I believe that when the time is right, if we are in the word of God and we're remaining in Christ and the word of God is in us, that in the moment that the Holy Spirit, he will give us revelation, knowledge, and wisdom to know what this all means. And we can rest. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be fearful. We just need to be in the word. And when the time is right, relying on the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit doesn't just want to generally lead your life. This is, so, this is so key. The Holy Spirit doesn't just want to generally lead your life. He wants to specifically lead your life. In scripture, Paul, Paul would be about to go to a location and he would hear the Holy Spirit say, don't, don't go there. Be like, but I, I'm supposed to go there. Nope, don't go there. And then he would get a dream and he'd say, go here instead. Like the Holy Spirit doesn't just want to generally lead your life. He wants to, if you will lean into him, he will specifically lead your life. You will hear the voice of the Spirit saying, do not. And you will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, do. And you can rely on him. And we can encourage each, we don't have to be afraid of this stuff. We can encourage each other. Hey, when this stuff's starting to happen, and listen, it start, I had a, a buddy who, we were, we were talking about the mark of the beast, and we are talking about whether it's literal or not. This is what pastors do. We nerd out over weird things. Is the mark of the beast literal? Is it gonna be an actual marking that you'll be able to see? Is it something that they're going to, you know, uh, put into your skin? You know, what, what is this? And I had a, so we were talking about this and my, my buddy had been at a gas station uh, earlier that day or I don't know when it was and he, he said he, he's, you know, there's a line of people and he sees this guy in front of him go to pay for his Doritos and his uh, Coke Zero and all this stuff. And he go, when he goes to pay for it, he didn't get out a credit card 
or cash out of his wallet. He paid for it with his phone. He said it was just this interesting moment where he, he, he does this with his phone because he had to do, you know, so it would know who he is. And then he goes and he puts it over here. And he said, if I'm an ancient from 2,000 years ago and I stepped into this technology, he goes, maybe it's not a mark. Maybe this isn't a literal thing. Maybe it's like forehead, right hand. Like, I don't, I'm just saying, I don't know what it is. By the way, you don't need to now throw away all of your iPhones, you know, because of that. Uh, or if you're going, just donate it to the youth group and the, the students will do marvelous things with those. But um, like we, we just, for us to try to figure out what this is, sometimes is, is a little bit uh, fool's errand. Number three, we can expect a central enemy. There'll be a central enemy. And we've, we've talked a lot about this over the last couple of weeks, but the central enemy will be those who profess Christ. Those who profess Christ increasingly in this, in this world culture that is being developed, this political culture of the Antichrist where there's a centralized currency, you can expect that those who profess Christ will increasingly be the enemy. And I don't mean because we're being weird. I mean because of being faithful and obedient to scripture, we, we will be considered the enemy. Revelation 14 verse 13 says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they are blessed indeed for they will rest from their hard work for their good deeds follow them. Martyrdom and persecution for people who believe in Jesus will be at an all time high. And I know, I know there's a theology that says that, well, we're just gonna escape all of that. And listen, I hope that that's true, okay? I, uh, and we could get into pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. We could, we could get into all that. I, I really don't think it matters because practically, there are Christians right now being persecuted for being obedient and faithful to Christ. So the theology that we believe has to match up with our friends in Lithuania, has to match up with our friends in Haiti, has to match up with our friends in China, has to match up with our friends in Azerbaijan. It has to, it has to the, the theology has to work everywhere, right? We, we, we talked about this last, uh, two weeks ago, opendoors.org, which is an organization that tracks like persecution around the world, said um, last year, uh, 260 million Christians are living in areas that are experiencing high levels of persecution. Last year in 2022, 5,621 Christians were killed for their faith. Last year alone, 5,621 Christians were killed for their faith. And so I, I do get that there's probably some low level of persecution going on in the United States, but really for American Christians, our biggest obstacle to gathering to worship is an alarm clock or weather. <laughs> our brothers and sisters are giving their lives to do what we can only fit into our calendars if it's convenient. But we can expect that in the day of the Antichrist and the day of the mark of the beast, which is gonna be you know, either Jesus is coming back before that or Jesus is coming back, I, however your theology is, we can expect an increase in the central enemy being those who profess to follow Christ. And that means the name of Jesus is increasingly under attack. You can use any other name. I, I mentioned that last week. Symbols, you can use any other symbol. Your county seal can have any other symbol. It can have demonic deities, but you put a cross in that and they're, they're gonna scream their heads off, Right? because there's something about Jesus and there's something about the cross that gets opposed. So when we look at all this, we can cower and we can be full of fear or we can choose to stand up for truth and boldly let our light shine and boldly let people know that Jesus is coming back. And when they look at us, you know, strange, you believe in that stuff? 
I, listen, I believe in this stuff more today than I ever have before. Some of this stuff, I remember back in the day going, how in the world is that ever going to happen, right? And now I look around and I go, how in the world is that happening, right? So I want to I end our sermon today by, by t- talking, uh, and it, this seems like a different subject, but it, it's the same deal. About five years ago, I, was reading, I, I try to read through the Bible every year, and I was reading in the book of Revelation, and I saw a pattern that I'll be honest, it's, I've never heard any other pastor talk about this or any, I've never read it in a book anywhere. And it's kind of concerning to me because when you're the only one coming up with stuff, sometimes you think, am I the weirdo? You know, like, I'd like to know that somebody else is seeing the same thing. But I saw something five years ago as I was reading through, I saw something I'd never seen before. The mark of the beast that we talked about a few moments ago is, is uh, five different times mentioned in the book of Revelation. Right, five different times the mark of the beast is mentioned in the book of Revelation. Five different times there's another mark that is mentioned in the book of Revelation and in fact is actually mentioned in Old Testament prophecy as well, specifically in the book of Ezekiel. And I think Satan is never creative. He just steals what God does and he tries to counterfeit it, right? So I want, because I think sometimes we get our panties in a wad over the mark of the beast and 666 and all this kind of stuff. I just want you to see that for followers of Jesus, there's another mark that I think we should be way more consumed with. But let me, and this time I'm going to read them all because I, I, don't, I, I hope this isn't heresy. It's from scripture. Okay. I just, this is crazy. It blows my mind five times in the book of Revelation. So, so, Stay with me to make sure that I'm not preaching something I shouldn't be preaching. Revelation 3, verse 12. That's gonna be my first, number one. Everyone say number one. Here's our first passage from Revelation. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. And here's the part. And I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God and I will also write on them my new name. So here's our first passage, and it's introducing this idea that for followers of Jesus, the name of God are going to be written upon them. This is really cool, okay? That's not the only passage in Revelation. Here's the second one. Revelation 7, verse 3. Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. So the second time in the book of Revelation, we see this idea of a marking. In this passage, it's actually called a seal. The seal in the ancient world was a tool or ring that stamped an owner's mark of identification on something. God's seal on a person identifies that person as belonging to God and under his care. So we have a second time in the book of Revelation that there's this idea of being marked, and this time, this idea of being sealed with the identification of God, that I'm no longer who I used to be, I now belong to God. I am the possession of God. It's really cool. Okay, here's a third passage. Everybody say three. Three. Revelation 9, verse 4. The locusts, these were not just normal locusts, these were like supernatural, like crazy whacked out locusts. The locusts were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God, where? On their foreheads. And this whacked. Some of you are like, this is so weird. Okay, number four. This is the fourth passage. Revelation 14, verse one. Then I saw the lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. 
And here's the fifth one, Revelation 22, verses three through four. No longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and of the lamb will be there and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. I said, Kent, you really seem excited about this. I'm glad you're so passionate. I just think it's crazy that five times you see the mark of the beast in the book of Revelation and five times you see this marking, this seal, this name that's written on the forehead. And I just think, you know what? Which one am I gonna be consumed with? I just wanna make sure that I'm walking in the identity of Jesus Christ. I just want his name written on me. Now, here's what I'm not saying, okay? Because this would really freak out your family at the Thanksgiving dinner when you come walking in the doors with like Elohim, like written on your forehead, you know? Like, you don't need to go to tattoo artist. You don't need, there will be really, I will be disappointed if next week you come walking through the doors with Yahweh, Adonai, you know, like written across your forehead. That's not, it's, again, I don't, I don't know that it's literal, just like I don't know that the mark of the beast is literal, but what it does mean is my identity has changed, and it's not just my identity has changed in my eyes, my identity has changed most of all in my heavenly father's eyes. That when he sees Ken, he doesn't see the knucklehead who struggles with sin and temptation and all this stuff. That when he sees Ken, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And my identity is not all these other things. My identity is I belong to King Jesus. And I think, I think if the church, if we could get this and just say, listen, this is what I'm pursuing. I'm not giving my attention to all these other things. I wanna be informed. I wanna know what the word of God has to say. There's, I, I need to do that. But sometimes in our focus of things, we begin to worship those things. You, you know what I mean? Like there was this movement a while back about demons, you know, demons are like everywhere. So the people would walk and I wonder if there's a demon behind that bush, you know? And I'm like, I think you're giving the demons a little too much attention. I think you're giving, I think you're on the verge of worshiping them. That's what worship is, is giving attention to something, Right? So I'm just saying, like, instead of like, ooh, is, is so-and-so the Antichrist? Is Barack Obama the Antichrist? Is Donald Trump the Antichrist? Joe Biden, if he's alive, is he the Antichrist? You know, like, sorry, shouldn't go there, right? Like, 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 instead of like being like, like, what if we just say, instead of going through all that, like, why don't we just, <laughs> sorry, don't send me, I know, I should not go there, okay. Um, <laughs> Anyhow, that wasn't in my notes. What, what, are, what is the focus of our attention, right? I, increasingly, I just find myself saying, I, I don't know about all this stuff. I was talking to someone after the first service. I said, you know, the, I've, I've been a pastor. It'll be 25 years, like in January. that I've been preaching almost every, every week. And uh, the longer I do this, the less... I used to know all the details of the last days. I mean, I could roll out a map and tell you that. And now I just find myself going, I, I don't know, but I know Jesus is the king. I know he's king. I know there's all these other details. I don't know how they're gonna happen pre, post, mid. Oh, okay, what, I just know Jesus is king and I'm looking toward him. And more than anything in this world, I want his name written on me. I want that when people spend a few minutes with me, they don't walk out going, man, Ken, he's, he's a little full of himself. I, I want that when they walk away from a conversation, they would go, man, I feel like I just spent 15 minutes with Jesus. I'm not there, okay, trust me. My wife will tell you I'm not there. That's, that's, that's increasingly like my folk. I, I want Jesus to be so 
in me that people don't even see me, they see Jesus. That his name is written across my forehead. His, his name is written across, think about what a forehead represents, my thoughts, my thinking. The 24 seven, I'm just aware of Jesus. I'm just walking through and I'm doing this stuff. I got responsibilities, I'm doing the things, I'm cleaning, you know, doing the laundry and, and, and do, but his name is written on my forehead. Thinking about him, how can I love him? How can I serve him? How can I represent him to the people around me? Listen, I, the last days, I believe we're in the last days. I don't, need, I don't think we need to be fearful. I don't think when you think of last days, you need to think about fingernails being ripped out and weird things like that. I think when we think about the last days, we should go, yeah, we're in the final quarter. I already know who wins. And I'm aligning myself with him every day, actually, actively following him, not just for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. I'm actually actively following him. I'm in his word because the more I'm in his word, I can spot out the stuff that I go, see, I don't know about that over there. That's, that doesn't seem Jesus, right? I, I wanna be so in his word that I, I can notice a counterfeit. I can notice a fake. I want that for you. I want that for all of us. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I'm just gonna ask you as you're standing, would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? Not because we're gonna do anything weird, but I just wanna give the room a little bit of privacy. I'd be remiss, you know, in talking about this. I would be a horrible pastor if I didn't recognize there's probably some of you in this room who you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I'm not asking you to get it, I'm not asking, you know, do you have it all figured out? Do you understand how it all works? I, I don't always have it all figured out and understand how it all works. But I'm just asking, if you come to a place of humbling yourself and recognizing my way isn't working, and I'm broken and I'm helpless and I'm powerless, and even beyond the fact that I'm a mistaker, that I make mistakes, I'm a sinner, that I've sinned against God, I've, I've been greedy, I've been selfish, I've been jealous, I've been envious. And because of that, there's this rift between me and God. And the only way that that chasm can be bridged is through Jesus, only through Jesus' death, only through his resurrection, that when he died on the cross, he took the curse of my sin upon himself. He took the punishment that I deserve upon himself. And that is reaching out to Jesus and saying, Jesus, have mercy on me, I've sinned against you that he can bring cleansing and forgiveness, that he can make me right with God and give me peace with God, that I don't have to fear all this other stuff. He will empower me by his spirit to increasingly be able to do the things that he's called me to do, to say the things that he wants me to say, to go to the places that he wants me to go, to stay away from the places he wants me to stay. He will increasingly give me the power to do that. So if you're here today and you have not asked Jesus to come into your heart, I want you to have that moment today to be able to do that. That you can know in the moment that you ask Jesus into your heart that he adopts you into his family, that you've received his grace. He wants to seal you with his Holy Spirit, that you don't have to fear what's coming down the pipe. That you can have an assurance that I am in Christ and he is in me, that I am in alignment with him. So with, with no one looking around, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna have you step out. We're not gonna have everyone turn around and look at you. In fact, we're having baptisms uh, January 7th, I think is our next baptism. That's where we go public with our faith. If that's you and you're here and you say, Ken, I, 
I'm not ready for all this stuff that's going down. I haven't asked Jesus to be the master and leader of my life. Or maybe I did that years ago, but Jesus has not been front and center in my life. I've been, I've been leading my life myself. I, I need him to be calling the shots to my life. I need his forgiveness. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want, I want to pray with you this morning. Yeah, I see you. I see you. I see you there. I see you back there. After you've raised your hand, I've acknowledged you. You can lower anybody else. I just want to pray for you. Anybody else in the room? Yeah, I see you. I see you right there. Yep. I see you back there. Yeah. Anybody else? You can lower your hands after you've raised them. Anybody else? Guys, it's awesome. Can we, can we pray a prayer together? If you raise your hand, if you didn't raise your hand, would you, would you pray this with me? And it, I, sometimes I hesitate to, to lead in a prayer because it's like this formula thing. If we say these words just right, then we click our heels together three times. And I do believe, and I do believe, and I do believe that, that it all, no, it's meaning this in our heart. So would you just pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for my sin. I believe Jesus is the son of God, that he is exalted, that he is ruling right now. Come into my life, forgive me, empower me to do what you want me to do. Thank you for adopting me. Thank you for helping me follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I just pray over you? Father, I thank you. I saw so many raise their hands a moment ago. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would do something inside of them right now. Whether they feel anything or not, we're not led by feelings, but God, that you would do something inside of them that, that they would just know that they've chosen the right way. Would you seal them by the power of your spirit? Would you give them the strength and empowerment to continue to follow after you? And God, I pray for everybody in this room who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. God, there's a lot of us in this room who we've been following you for years and the last days fill us with such fear. God, I pray that increasingly we would not be filled with fear, we would be filled with expectation. We would be filled with responsibility to share with, each, with others the news that we have heard before it's too late. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you go, so before you move, couple things. If you raise your hand, in fact, I'm gonna ask our prayer partners to come up right now. We didn't have prayer earlier for those who, I know Thanksgiving is such, we didn't get to talk about this, but Thanksgiving is such a hard time. I was talking to a friend uh, right before service and it's so difficult this time of the year. I just want you to know, if you came in with a heavy heart, it may have nothing to do, like you're saved, you love Jesus, but you just need someone to pray with you before you go out into having Thanksgiving with weird Uncle Eddie and, you know, if your name's Eddie, I apologize. Uh, 
But some of you just need that. We would love to pray with you. If you raised your hand a moment ago, we would love to pray with you and just rejoice with you and celebrate the move that you made. In fact, if you raised your hand a moment ago, Pastor Aaron talked earlier about the blue connect card. On that blue connect card at the very bottom, would you just mark, uh, I'm starting a relationship with Jesus or I'm reaffirming. That way we can come alongside you and just uh, celebrate and coach you and, and give you some, some tools to help you as you follow Christ. And then, um, and then make sure the rest of you get those connect cards as well. I think we got, yeah, I see Marie back there and uh, Claude as well. Good looking people with the white buckets. You can stick those cards in the bucket as you leave. Hey, have a great Thanksgiving. Some of you are traveling in the next few days. We're praying safe travels for you, that you would have a great week, that you would come back rested and uh, ready for what God has for you. God bless you guys. See you later.